and darkness will see great a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing, dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will fuel the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord and of heaven's armies will make this happen. All right, we're going to read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature a God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, thanks, I Keith, you can sit down. And I'm going to switch to this microphone because uh, the other one's a little crazy making. So um, thank you for bearing with us in the wind. One of the things that you may not know that we do uh, as we prepare for a series of gatherings, and especially when we're going to be more in a series, you know, during ordinary time, we have moved away from the lectionary for a spell, and we've been uh, just kind of taking larger chunks of ideas or themes at a time, especially in the midst of the pandemic and everything else going on. It felt like uh, that was a way to help uh, make sense of where we were in the light of God's story. And so as we were preparing, looking at the election that was coming up, looking at the political divisiveness in our culture, uh, we, we landed on this idea of Jesus and his kingdom, and specifically it was meant to ramp up to today, Christ our King. And uh, as I was looking at different resources that would help us express this to our church community, I went on to Google, as you do, and I said, uh, I typed into Google, Christ the King painting, because I wanted to see what else is out there. We already knew we were going to have Ivy creating this new symbol for our community, and I wanted to see what else was out there. So I typed in Christ the King painting. I kid you not, the first result that came up was a picture of Jesus laying his hands on President Trump. And I thought to myself, that was the first result that came up when I searched for Christ the King. Now, whatever your political allegiances are, I think we can do better for our first result of Jesus the King than him laying his hands on any president of the United States of America, right? We need a better way. We need a new image to guide us to a Jesus that is bigger than our country, a Jesus that is bigger than me, a Jesus that is bigger than what is in my best interests. 
And so that's what this series has been about, trying to give us an alternative, uh, which is actually the real reality, way forward. And so we began a few weeks ago looking at how we might specifically at that point talk about our politics, but now we want to broaden that to any way that we might think of our common life together, our civic engagement, our creating community with one another for the sake of mutual flourishing. How do we do that in the way of Jesus? And there are competing stories that tell us different ways that we can move the world forward, but the way of Jesus gives us an alternative invitation. And so we started our first gathering here with that alternative paradigm, a call to see everything first and foremost through Jesus on the cross and to, to shape our view of God through that. And we prayed, your kingdom come. The next time we were here, we prayed uh, for an alternative allegiance in the midst of the lenses we wear, which shape our liturgies, which shape our loyalties, which shape our loves. We prayed for an alternative allegiance to the king and the values that he calls good, not the values anything else calls good. And we prayed your will be done. Last time we were here, we talked about an alternative belonging to one another post-election in a very divided country, in a very divided state. How do we remember that we belong to one another? How do we put on the new life in Christ through forgiveness and forbearance, moving toward the beloved community that God has for us? We prayed on earth. And today, we'll wrap this time up with a bit of a recap, the alternative aim or telos that God invites us to think toward, towards God's will, a kingdom of justice, wholeness, and peace, and we pray, God, that it would be as it is in heaven. And so let's start with that word telos. If you've been around the parish community very long, you've heard us use this word before. It's the Greek word, which means completion or aim or, or uh, finale. It's the, it's the fulfillment or the, the aim to which this is all pointing. And so if there is a story, there is a beginning, a middle, and a telos. Uh, there is a great archetypal story pattern. Some of you might be familiar with the hero's journey, uh, and, and there's just different ways in which many stories, most stories, actually end up following the same pattern, have similar elements from the beginning. And so the great story is a story that we see pop up in everything from a Netflix special to what is in our scriptures, uh, and, and it, it looks like this. It has an element of creation or origin. Something started the story. And then there's fall or disaster. Something went wrong that set the story off course. But then comes at an eventual point after struggle and pain, there comes the good news of redemption or a kingdom or a Messiah. And uh, that will lead us to redemption. And so many stories follow this pattern we want to recall that there are competing stories all around us. And so in the first week, we talked about the compelling story that is all baked into our culture right now, especially as we approach Black Friday and as we talk about Christmas and giving and presents, that there's this compelling story that we are told in America is our birthright. There may be some opposition that wants to steal and kill and destroy, but there is good news. A Messiah can save the day, and, and we'll rehearse it on social media. We'll share it on every street corner. We'll have communal practices that lead us into the idea that all will be well if we give our allegiance to capitalism, right? That's one of the American gospel stories that comes to us. 
And there are so many. We talked about these rival kingdoms that God in his wisdom allows. Stories of patriotism, individualism, liberalism, conservatism, white supremacy, the American dream. These are rival gospel stories. And each rival kingdom has its own story. We dismiss them when they come to us overtly, but often they're so baked in that they become the water we swim in, just like those 3D glasses we had a few weeks ago. We don't even realize anymore we're seeing right through them. And so we begin with the idea that the telos of God's kingdom is often competed with and co-opted by lesser good news stories. And when we talk about ideologies, values, platforms, parties, they all have an end in mind. We cannot take on one of those stories without also taking on the underpinning aim of the story. Right? It, 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 we cannot have an embrace of the means while disavowing the ends. If we embrace the means, they will become the ends. If we embrace warring means, we will have a warring end of our story. If we embrace unjust means, we will have an unjust end to our story. If we have a story that says, me first, we should not be surprised that the end of the story leads other, leaves other people out. And so we have to uh, ask ourselves, what are the ways in which we are trying to move toward the telos? On this Christ the King Sunday, I want to call us back then to the great story. And we'll spend just a few minutes here. I know it's hot. I know it's windy. I'll keep this real brief. Uh, but let's begin with creation. Every story starts with creation. And our great story, Genesis 1, God's way of bringing peace and order into chaos, or out of chaos, which is something our world and our country is very much trying to do right now. Where do we find peace? Where do we find order? There seems to be a lot of chaos. How do we find that? Well, God's way is to speak words of light. He says, let there be light. And out of darkness, light takes center stage. God has a way of always bringing light to shine on what we need the most. And then he speaks words of life. It is good. So how we define what is good is the launching point of any telos. And, and no one gets to define what is good other than the creator. There are horrible abuses of humanity that have happened as people have tried to name a wrong-headed telos and move us toward it. They've said, this is good, this is what we should all be aiming toward, and they invite people to join them through moving things toward that telos, and a lot of pain has happened in human history through wrong definitions of good. And so good is what God says it is, and what God says it is, we even looked at this Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good that you would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And so in our guts, as we think about our lives, and I know I need to reflect on this, boy, what is our definition of the good life? What are the assumptions I have about what the good life is? How does that match up with our creator at the beginning of the story who defined what is good? The Christian story is to remember and affirm that every single person is created in the image of God. Every single person is created in the image of God. And so when we talk to others, that should be our starting point. Uh, then the fall. The fall comes... And we should never forget that this world is most fundamentally blessed, but there is brokenness all around us. And brokenness leads to broken systems, and broken systems break our neighbors. 
And so we want to care about what is structurally in disrepair because we all need repair. We all need rescue. This could be one of the great goods of government, right? Government is equipped to do things that the church is simply not equipped to do. But we also have to remember that each government, each story, each philosophy has its own understanding of the fall. And so with them comes a version of the story that says those people are to blame for our condition. That thing is what the real fault lies with them. And so we end up scapegoating one another, defining what went wrong and who is wrong and whose fault it is differently. The Christian story reminds us that we are all in this same boat together. We want to reject the lesser liturgies of scapegoating those people for the place we find ourselves and realize that Jesus alone can redeem us from the fall. So, if Jesus alone can redeem us from the fall, that then becomes the gospel of the Messiah. The story of redemption. What can come to save us from our estate? And every rival kingdom has its own definition of where salvation can be found. What the good news is. If we're honest with ourselves, there is so many stories of good news that we are tempted to buy into. But the Christian prays with our lips and with our lives that Jesus will be done, that God's will be done, that heaven would come. Heaven then is not the place of harps and halos. It is the place where God's rule and reign is recognized and submitted to. And so we remember as we end our year as Christians, we remember that Jesus' kingdom is here now. It is not a someday out there kingdom. It is in our midst now, and so we submit to the king now. As we reflect on the Christian calendar year, there are two real high water marks in the Christian calendar year, and they are Advent and Easter. And they give us the two fundamental postures that I believe we as Christians are called to live in. And we see them both in that Philippians passage that Keith read for us. And so if you look at your sheets, follow along with me as we look at this, that as we take the kingdom seriously, we mimic the king, we take on the same mindset the king had, and it starts within your relationships with one another. I mean, we cannot get more practical than what we're about to hear. In our very real relationships with one another, and then we get these two foundational postures. First, incarnation which simply means stepping out of my comfort zone in order to meet you where you are. To, as Jesus did, he, he steps out of heaven, he takes on flesh, he dwells among us, he moves into our neighborhood as the humble king. What would it look like for you and I to take on a posture of incarnation? Jesus comes and the bright star moves to center stage. We'll spend the next few weeks reflecting on the beauty of the Advent and Christmas story. The star comes to point the people who have been walking in darkness toward a great light. God always has a way of shining light on what we need the most. And so too then we lay down our comfort and our security in order to stay near others we, we step out of our comfort zones in order to stay near others. We step out of our security and protection in order to stay near to others because Jesus teaches us to lay down the old way and take on the new self in Christ where we reject contempt and we stay near each other in forgiveness and bearing with one another. And then crucifixion, the story of Easter. 
But Jesus calls us also then not just to draw near to others, but to draw near to others with a cross-shaped, cruciform posture. We set our eyes on Jesus who not only bore the cross, but is cross-shaped by his very nature. And as Morgan said, the cross then reorients our posture toward those on our right and those on our left. Our ultimate view of God, as we see through the cross, is not then just merely biblical values or views, but Christ-like values and views. And each year we call ourselves again to be people of incarnation, people of crucifixion, being crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And as we do that, then we also trust that God's part of that work is the work of resurrection, is the work of new life. We all have messianic hopes, and I'll end with this. We're all walking in darkness. We're all walking in darkness right now. Uh, as I look around our world, as I look around the interior condition of my own heart, boy, right now it's like some moments I'm like, yeah, we're good. And then other moments it's like, what is happening in our world? I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's how I feel, and I, I look for messianic redemption. What can save us? What can figure this all out? What can set things right? Where's the great light? And there are so many stories around us. They all have elements of truth, but none of them deserve our hearts other than the great story. The great story that leads us to the redemption of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, the kind of person I am and the kind of world I hope to live in does not happen when I achieve the good life. You can have the beach house and, and anything else I just want a beach house. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's the beach house. But we can have all these things. It doesn't change the, the, the world we live in and the person that I am. Similarly, the kind of person I am, the kind of world I hope to have, does not come into place when all the policies I wish were in place were in place. When all the Supreme Court justices I wish were in place were in place. When the president I wish was voted in is voted in. None of that changes the interior position of my heart. It doesn't mean it's not important, but it means that if we want the world to look more like Jesus, it will happen as the followers of Jesus surrender more to Jesus. That is how we place the government on his shoulders, the government of our lives onto his shoulders. And so we confess the only Christian nation in the history of the world is the church. There is and will never be any other Christian nation in the church because we are the ones submitted to the lordship and kingdom of Jesus. And as we take on the posture Paul calls us to in Philippians 2, we see how the story ends. Because Jesus was incarnate, because Jesus took on the cross, God exalted him, verse 9, to the highest place and gave him the name above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow Christ the King, and every tongue confess that Jesus the King is Lord. And so on this Christ the King Sunday, we return to that image we started with from Revelation 4. It's where we started our first week here at Mount Pisgah. There is a good news plan of how to redeem the world. It's a scroll, but no one can open it. No kingdom can open it. No leader can open it. But then we hear the good news that the lion of the tribe of Judah can open this. He is worthy to open the scroll. And a spotlight shines on the lamb who was slain but is still standing. That's the good news. Resurrection after crucifixion. 
the lamb is standing and a spotlight shines on him. Are we losing our communion again? <laughs> I missed it last week. The whole thing just blew away and I didn't even see it. The spotlight shines on the lamb. He takes the good news plan. He opens it up. There is a throne at the center of the universe and Jesus is the only one on it. And so we pray glory to the Father to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, when creation of what is good marked the beginning of the first words of the story, as it is now, because Jesus' kingdom is already here in our midst, and as it ever shall be, because Christ, the King's kingdom of peace, will come, and it will never end, world without end. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we reorient our lives toward you. In a given year, we go through so many ups and downs. We root ourselves again in your story. Your story that began with light and goodness and will end in light and goodness, and in fact, even more peace than when it began. We trust you will bring your kingdom to come. And now in the interim, while we live between these times, help us to be people mimicking the king's posture of incarnation and crucifixion as we draw near with the mindset Jesus had in the relationships around us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts to approach the table, would you stand with me as you are able and we'll confess our sins against God and our neighbor? Say this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Take a moment now. Search your heart for what you need to confess to the Father. We confess our sins that we might be healed. And so, friends of God, take heart. The Lord has already shown you mercy. The Lord has already had compassion on you. The cross of Jesus turns mourning into dancing. And Jesus strengthens our weak knees when we still have a long way to go. We are forgiven. Amen.